The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. We're going to have to bear with us this week as we take a moment to pat ourselves on the back for reaching the first anniversary of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. Then, once all the high-fiving is over, we talk some more about attracting newcomers to aviation. We wish the administrator the best in her new job, and we pause to try and fix Dave's microphone. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 44. One. <laughs> to GA podcast, so there you go. I see. Well, after oh no, see, there's just so many jokes there. I'm just not like I said, I've been priming to pump for this for about a half hour. I so. see. Welcome, oh, folks. Okay, and, no, all right. <laughs> take 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 four. Yeah. Take four. Let's go right ahead. Don't let me interrupt. <laughs> That'll be a first. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode number 44 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this uh, episode on, uh, on Wednesday evening, August 22nd, 2007. That's a, a date that will become significant in just a moment or two. But before we move on to that, let's say hi to the other folks that are here in the virtual hangar this evening. Uh, Dave, Dave Higdon is here. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor of Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And he's joining us, as usual, from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Uh, doing great, doing great. Good evening, everybody. Uh, uh, you know, boy, I hope you weren't flying south through the Midwest today. Really? What was uh, going on down there? Cook and winds out of the south. Sounded like freight train rolling overhead some mm. of the time. So uh, it was like that up here a couple of days ago. We were it just this big, big wind. It was just gusting left and right all day long. It was it was really something. We've really changed over into kind of fall weather up here uh, in New England. That's typical in, in mid to late August like this. Well, I thought I saw a Cherokee 140 go overhead doing about Mach point eight. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and then he turned toward the airport and. Uh, you know, through a reading of War and Peace, I was able to get his tail number. Uh, <laughs> also with us uh, in the virtual hangar this evening, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. And he's talking to us this evening from Springfield, Virginia. Hi, Jeb. Hi, Jack. How's it going tonight, Dave? I'm, I'm uh, doing well. I like this evening thing. The 10 o'clock, yeah, that was too much. 10 o'clock was, was pushing it. I think we kind of aired on the on the wrong side. But uh, uh, I've had a long day, but uh, um, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to be anywhere, of course. But yeah. uh, I'm very pleased, to, <laughs> very, very pleased to be with you two reprobates. So. Yeah, well, then. well so, you know, uh, this, this, this time, uh, you know, for, for – for the record, uh, I guess it's a little after seven o'clock for Jack and Jeb, and it's a little after six for me. And this really is more in tune with when I associate a good hangar flying session with yeah, happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's you know, true. sitting out in the hangar, the airplane's put away for the day. You got some nice tunes on the radio. You're watching the sun go down. You got your uh, uh, your beverage of choice there. Uh, the keys are put up. You're not flying anything more tonight, and uh, it's just. Really good time for uh, fish stories. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a scheduling thing that, that caused us to uh, move from our normal Thursday morning to this Wednesday evening, although it, it's uh, very serendipitous for a reason that's going to become obvious in just a second. I'm going to begin this evening's podcast or this week's podcast a little bit differently. With, we're going to do something that we don't usually do, and that is I'm going to play a piece of audio here uh, that oh, I've pulled no. together. You're going to confuse me. Yeah, and uh, we don't usually play just recorded audio other than uh, comments from listeners, but uh, but I wanted to kind of play this, and uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about it at the end. So. Uh, this is about a little over three minutes long, and uh, so just kind of sit back with the beers and, and listen in. This is episode number one of the Unnamed General Aviation Podcast with Jeb oh Burnside, God. Dave Higdon, and Jack Hodgson. Recorded Tuesday, August 22nd, 2006. Uh. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a two-word answer for that question, and the two words are air conditioning. This is deja vu all over again. <laughs> what great timing for the guys in the light sport business to have gas prices go yeah, rocketing true. out of sight like this. Well, here we are with the uh, first episode of our General Aviation Podcast, which is actually right now, it's still the no-name podcast. But maybe the first thing we should do is introduce the people we have around the table this time. Uh, it's actually a virtual table. Uh, uh, we're all at different places around uh, the country. We decided that uh, it might be interesting to take some of the conversations we have about the industry. And we, thought we basically decided to, to visit this torture on others. That's Jeb Burnside. Tell us about Jeb. My, my main gig is uh, serving as the editor-in-chief of uh, Aviation Safety magazine. And the other person sitting at the table tonight is Dave Higdon. Hey, Dave. Evening, guys. How you doing? Well, it's uncharacteristically comfortable for August in Wichita, <laughs> Kansas. Didn't break triple digits today, so the density altitude actually stayed south of uh, 4,000 feet for a change. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the work that you do when you're not in, in Oshkosh. Actually, I'm a full-time freelance writer and photographer. Uh, other than that, try to fly whenever I can, as much as I can, even if it's an OPA. And quickly, I should say I'm Jack Hodgson. Uh, I'm a, a writer and a media producer, and I am a longtime VFR pilot. But I'm going to throw in one that, that we kind of glossed over, and that is Oshkosh. This year, the crowd seemed to be genuinely fired up. The crowd was down. But the whole buzz factor thing seemed like it was up. And a huge amount of industry news, Cessna there with two new airplanes. Eclipse got a provisional type certificate. Wow. We had a good time, I guess, didn't we? Yeah, we did. That's what I remember of it. What, what are avgas prices like in, in you guys' necks of the wood? Well, they've more or less stabilized, flattened out, if you will. Um, I paid 4 bucks and change over the weekend in South Georgia. Heading out to the Ponca City Pancake Breakfast on the first Saturday of the month. Well, if it's going to cost you a hundred bucks in a gas, hundred dollar pancakes don't sell as well in real life as they do in the parent, you know, in the theoretical, the abstract. Right. The news on student starts right now is as bad as mm -hmm. it's been in a decade. Here's my two word reason for it all. Well, not two words, but is is that the FBOs are just terrible marketers. They are not necessarily inviting places for people to go. Once you get across the threshold, they're pretty nice people out there. Once, once you're accepted, there's really no warmer, more accepting little club to belong to than aviators. One of the things we need to figure out, it needs a name. Well, first <laughs> off, if anybody should actually hear this, 
Let's have the listeners offer up some suggestions and revisit this on our next installment. And when when is the next installment? How often would you guys like to do this? I mean, a lot of people are doing these kinds of podcasts weekly. I'm not sure if that's very practical, although I'd give it a shot. I would love to see us do it at least every other week. That sounds like a good place to start. There is nothing that we don't know anything about that we can't expound on. That's right. And if we don't, if we don't know anything about it, it hasn't stopped us in the past. Hey, listen, guys, thank you very much. I really, I, I'm. This has just been terrific, and I look forward to doing it again. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Come fly with me. Let's take off in the blue. Well, that's just a few uh, highlights from our very first episode. Coincidentally, oh my God. coincidentally, the production values have increased. Yeah, I know they are a lot better now. We uh, we've got a little bit better equipment. We learned a little bit about how to how to use some of this stuff and how to take advantage of the internet. We couldn't do this without you know like the internet and voice over IP. We use Skype and and just a lot of tools that that we've learned to use over the past year. And uh, it's it, it's a real pity we don't know any more about what we talk about than we did a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's been working fine all along. Why worry about that at this stage? That's right. And, and of course, you know the 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 pl- the plethora of uh, feedback from uh, all of our listeners those first three or four episodes uh, really helped us uh, um, get a get a name together. Yeah, well, that was that was quite a process we went yeah, through. Yeah, that was yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, we uh, you it know, was one thing it confirmed that more than our mothers and girlfriends and wives were listening. Yeah. We got a lot of great suggestions from from listeners for names. We also came up with a bunch ourselves. It was quite a process we went through. You recall we. Uh, we were shooting emails back, you know, every day, just with list after list of uh, possible names, and we agonized over a lot of them. There were some that we liked, but we didn't think were available. There were some that were not quite right, but uh, I'm pretty pleased with the one we settled I'm, on. I'm ecstatic. Okay, you know, yeah. Based on, on on what it took for us to come to a, a, a terms on, on a name, I was sure that this wasn't going to last more than six or eight weeks. Uh-huh. Jane, you ignorant slut. Yeah, that's my <laughs> goal. Yeah. <laughs> So, so let me ask that. So, what what did you expect before we started this whole thing? Um, I, you know, I had sort of been involved not not doing podcasts, but listening to podcasts, and so I had an idea of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. But uh, um, what did you guys expect when we started this thing a year ago? I I don't know that I really had any expectations. Um, I, I figured you know five or ten episodes, and um, the shine would wear off the apple. And uh, it would be another project, uh, you know, to put on the resume that never really panned out. Um, <clears throat> my my primary objective was to just talk to you guys, mm-hmm. just you know, keep keep tabs on the two of you, and uh, obviously bring in some <laughs> of, some of our associates and acquaintances and close friends, and 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 you know, kind of have conversations with them. I I never dreamed that it would grow. Um, to be as as popular, uh, not not suggesting that it's you know uh, um, the end all and be all by any stretch of the imagination. But even th- even the limited penetration and popularity that we that we enjoy uh, in the you know the the worldwide scheme of things here, it, I, it never I never dreamed that it would it would be what it is now. Yeah, I'm 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 shocked, quite frankly. That, yeah, it, uh, it was it was you know, and and we've known that sort of in a way from sitting at our desks and our keyboards from the right. email that we've gotten from people. It it was it was really 
humbling uh, when we first went to Sun and Fun, and that's when I think we first kind of started to realize that there really were people out there who'd heard of what we were doing, you know, and uh, some people in the industry who we knew, and and others that just kind of came up and said hi, and that was really cool. And then and then that you know, by an order of magnitude at Oshkosh when we just met all kinds of people who had been listening, and that was very cool. So uh, well, it was a little unsettling too, uh, you know. Oh yeah, listening to you guys. Uh, it's like. <laughs> And then at Oshkosh, to have somebody walk out of a crowd and, 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 and to say hello, I listened to Uncontrolled Airspace because they heard my voice, they said, and then recognized my face from the picture that's unfortunately on the homepage. And, uh, oh, my God, this is scary. So looking back, and I asked both of you to kind of scan, skim the, uh, the, the show notes from the past year. Um, is there anything that is particularly notable, anything that, that we've done over the uh, the past year, you know, things from season one of Uncontrolled Airspace? <laughs> season one, wow. That's, that's right. Was that, is that like a Roman numeral one or just the... the uh... I don't know. I spelled it out, but I suppose it could go either way. Uh, anything, there, anything in, in, you know, over the past year that stands out in your mind that you think is notable well, or, or particularly yeah, I mean, proud of? Or? Uh, easily Oshkosh, uh, easily Sun and Fun, and easily um, NBAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean the the uh, the show coverage, if you will, the on-site coverage, um, or I won't coverage is perhaps not the right word, uh, but the um, um, on-site production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Done. And and you know, of course, I, I still, of course, I still have the sun to prove it. But uh, um, the the last day of the of Oshkosh, sitting out there on the deck, and and um, uh, it, that was just amazing to me, and it came through. I think in the uh, in the final product of uh, uh, the the uh, just uh, enjoyment that we had in, in sitting out there and, and um, talking with some close friends and and talking about the show and, and just being that that up close and personal with it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that was, if that, anyone, was, that was probably the high point for me. If anyone is new to the podcast and, and hasn't had a chance to catch up on some of the old episodes, I couldn't agree more. I th- that is probably my favorite of all the 44 or 43 that we've done, which it's number 40 if anybody wants to go and track it down. it's the It was the closing day of, of, of AirVenture 2007, and uh, it was just the energy was awesome. And I know that I'm going to go back to that episode throughout the yeah. year as I kind of – it, 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 it dawned on me at the time, but I didn't want to say anything because it, it sounded it, it sound more boastful than I would want it to. But it occurred to me that I've never heard anything done quite like that out of the show announcers themselves, where you're talking about things at the air show, you're talking about things that you're seeing uh, intermixed with other, uh, other conversations uh, out there for the world to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, I think it was truly unique uh, among what I've heard and seen out of, out of show coverages over the years, and just a just a boatload of fun. I mean, man, the uh, the energy level, uh, and the sounds and the smells of it, everything that was going on there, all that movement and people coming and going and airplanes drowning us out and uh, you know. Geez, let's do that again next year. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it more than once. Yeah, that was that was that was terrific. I I think a couple of things that stand out to me. I you know I was looking more at kind of individual things. Um, I look back at the the year, you know, and although I I had little doubt that we were going to do or that I was going to do this podcast for a year. Um, I mean, I was determined and I I was confident that it was 
going to be interesting in, on some level to a handful of people. Um, but nevertheless, when I look back now at the, what I kind of call the body of work, you know, I mean, there's 43 episodes there. There's almost 50 hours of, uh, of you know, you know, well, I, I, I figure if you round up some of the longer ones, like yeah. one of those episodes is two hours. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah, if you you know if yeah. you add the odd and end minutes there, I think we probably broke fifty hours in the first year, and to do that in forty three episodes, starting from a uh, base of zero knowledge and ending at a base of zero knowledge, is pretty damn good. <laughs> and, and demonstrating our base of zero knowledge forty three times. Yeah, no, I think we've done some good things. I mean, we've had some fun and we blather a little bit about the weather from time to time. But I'm yeah. proud. I'm proud of the fact that we use this platform, you know, as as modest as it may be, to speak out on some important things. And to, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, whatever little thing we've done to help raise awareness about the user fee issue, for example, um, is well, we, something we, I'm incredibly proud of. You, you, you're getting to the core of what stood out from, for me and looking back at the, the last 43. Yeah. Well, tell, tell, us, tell me the, about that. The diversity of the topics that we covered and, you know, the versatility of, our, of what we were doing and how on point it was from week to week uh, because that was some of the buzz that, that we're talking about. And we'd be talking about it naturally, whether we were doing a podcast or sitting in a hangar doing the hangar flying that we're doing. Uh, but that we were able to touch on all those things and pump up the idea of learning to fly and encourage people to go for it. Uh, you know, zinging people to get the NOTAMs for the big shows mm-hmm. to contact other lawmakers about user fees over and again uh, to basically get out there and be part of the system and, and get engaged at whatever levels available to you. And there's something available to everybody almost everywhere. Yeah. Uh, that, that I feel like that that's a good thing, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it, it's given back to a community that's given. It is. And I think we have one or two people who have written in um, saying, you know, after listening to you guys and, and the, the enthusiasm and the dedication that you, you, you demonstrate or try to demonstrate, I've decided to go ahead and continue my, my flying or go back and, and finish up my private or, or even just go out and take some lessons for the first time. Um, and I think we've gotten, I know we've gotten a, a, a solid couple of, uh, of pieces of feedback like that and perhaps more than that. I think we've got uh, that's that's very that. gratifying. Yes, it, it, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It, that's what we're. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, as much as we like to clown around, and, and uh, um, all three of us, to to you know, le- varying extents, you know, make our living out of this. But um, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't enjoy it. If we didn't think it was worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking. I have some. Oh, yeah, something, I mean, general aviation. I mean, flying as a as an avocation. There's, there's far easier ways to make a living and, oh, and, big and, and far more lucrative fields in which to mm-hmm. make a living. But none of them quite have the appeal. Uh, and, uh, well, this is just where this is where I seem to fit best Yeah, for whatever reason. Well, enough tooting our own horn here. I'm just really pleased with the way it's all gone for the past year so far, season one. Um, I, I, I want to thank. I, I want to thank. First of all, I want to thank all of our listeners um, uh, for you know kind of without whom, yeah, we would just be literally talking to each other. Yeah, and for for energizing this thing, you know, um, the certainly once we started getting emails from people and audio, you know, comments from folks, um, it was it was a you know it was great for your ego, but it also helped us to energize the conversation to kind of you know realize that 
that we were talking to people and uh, that we were kind of expressing our passion about aviation and so forth. So thank you to our listeners. I also want to thank uh, uh, the, the various other members of the UCAP gang uh, over the past year. Uh, particularly, I want to thank uh, James Winbrandt and uh, Amy Laboda and Dan Johnson and Randy Dufoe and all the others uh, who have visited us here in the virtual hangar. Um, they all made this thing really great as well. And uh, so thanks to all of them. And, Let's also uh, give a shout out to Rick Reynolds. If it wasn't for Rick, of course, the three of us would never really have met. That's right. Uh, but also, Rick has uh, been very supportive. Um, Rick, of course, is our boss uh, at uh, Oshkosh at AirVenture Today, the newspaper, um, and uh, uh, has is instrumental in, in helping put together an article that appeared in Sport Aviation, uh, uh, the EAA's uh, magazine, and uh, um, just very supportive and, and uh, um, cannot thank him enough. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to, to some of the... Uh some of the folks that took the time to be with us when they didn't really have to. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You know, I'm thinking uh, um, particularly of, uh, of Tom Poberesne, for example, yeah. and John Burton. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about when we snatched Barry Valentine off the sidewalk at Sun and Fun. I was just going to say, Barry, we we, yeah. we owe we owe twice to the first time. Yeah. You know. Totally. Hey, Barry, quick, come up here. You put this headset on. <laughs> That's right. And he, I think he thought we were just sitting on the deck t- talking, right? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, and, to- totally what are you doing? Yeah. And, uh, and Dave's uh, off in the corner whispering in his ear saying, oh, we're doing a podcast. And come on. You know, oh, by the us. way, you're live on the radio. Yeah, what? That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then he his face went about it. three different shades. Yeah. He so slid so, into it like, uh, like, oh, the, like, like uh, the pro that he is. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you so, to everyone. Uh, who, everybody uh, and all the folks that have written in and called in and uh, taken the time to click on us and listen in. Uh, you're what makes it worthwhile. That's right. And so as you can tell, we're planning to continue doing this. Um, you know, we're probably going to do a lot more of the same. But, right, you're uh, stuck with us now. You can't get rid of us that easy. That's right. A few things I think we're going to experiment with uh, in the coming, in season two. Uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from, from the <laughs> listeners uh, their ideas of things that we might do differently or do more of or do less of or that kind of thing. But, uh, I feel like I'm on The Sopranos. I think we're going to have more guests. Um, I, I think, you know, we've had a lot of guests over the past year, but there were a lot of, uh, a lot of weeks where it was just the three of us. And so we're going to try and have more guests. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to try and have more than one at a time. We're going to test the limits of our, of our modern uh, internet technology here and have because I think some of the best in some ways some of the the better shows we've done in terms of the energy level was when we had five people in the panel and uh, and I like yeah, that so a fight uh, to get a word in edgewise yeah, but that's good see that's uh, you know yeah. gives me more people to gang up with against you guys you know so I can kind yeah, of <laughs> prime that pump that keep you all under control in, we're gonna try in, and do in, in your dreams we're gonna try and do more episodes on location uh, the ones we've done on location were as we've just talked about were particularly exciting and so we're gonna look for more opportunities to do on location episodes and we're going to experiment i think with uh, some different formats um uh, the, the format we've been using is a good one and we're certainly not going to abandon it but i think every now and then it'd be interesting to do something that's a little offbeat um whether it's a, a different kind of you know kind of structure of these shows or doing I, I, i'd like to try and do one one of these days where we actually broadcast it live streamed on the net while we're doing the recording session so that uh, you know people could kind of hear a little bit more yeah that is frightening absolutely terrible so we've got some plans we're going to do some different things during season two we want to thank everyone uh, that's way way more than enough I, I w- tooting I our own horn here got a, i want to see if they've got a wireless connection at Ponca city oklahoma and that's right oh by the way so that's what i wanted to mention that was that's, kind of, that's we gotta do we gotta do a fly in there that's um, right yeah but, but here's i wanted to that 
A couple of observations from the highlights from episode one, okay? First of all, as, as Jeb called out, all right, it was interesting that it was actually last week, it was episode 43, that Jeb mm-hmm. used the, I have two words for you, air uh, conditioning thing. Conditioning. <laughs> and, and I, knew, I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. You used that in episode one. I thought that was kind of interesting. Another thing interesting from episode one was that Dave... It, you know, it should have been obvious from the very beginning that it would be Dave's fault. All right, Dave was the first person to talk about the weather on on uh, on controlled airspace, and uh, and it was just all downhill from there. Dave talked about weather. You also, as you just mentioned, um, you you mentioned you managed to plug the Ponca City pancake breakfast from the very first episode, which I think was kind of interesting. So. I think that was just a matter of timing. We, uh, you know, it's like anything you want to plug, and I'm thinking, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I'll do that one, uh, right. That was back when we didn't we what the, the heck we were going to talk about. Breakfast yeah. in Ponca City. How in the world uh, are we going to fill an hour? Oh, my goodness. Anyways. The fact that it's just a, a, an extraordinarily good stop on a first Saturday morning of, the, uh, of any given month. Yeah, is, but we ought to figure is, out how we can all... Bonus. We can all get out there someday uh, on on I, the. Uh, I know the way. You take off from Augusta Airport, you yeah. fly 179 degrees uh, for 50 miles, and and you're on final approach to 17. That may well be the only thing in the world that you're closer to than we are. So. <laughs> then in Beaumont. <laughs> what, what, what we'll have to do is um, we'll have to get uh, Jack to air train out somewhere. Yeah. I'll swing through and pick him up. Yeah. We'll go. We'll go. Uh, visitate uh, on on Higdon, uh, spend the go. night at Higdon's, get up the next morning, all three of us get our gear, we'll go to Ponca City, and, and we'll do a podcast recording from Ponca City, and um, then we'll fly over Wichita and drop Higdon out and, and uh, uh, invert the process. So. Sounds like a plan. There, we should go to Beaumont and arrange to do something with the hotel people at Beaumont, Kansas. And work them into the podcast too. What hotel is that? The Beaumont Hotel. Okay. Okay. And the significance of the Beaumont Hotel is? Well, Beaumont is a town that once probably had seven or eight hundred people in it. Uh, but when cattle drive season, it would have four or five hundred cowboys uh, camped on one side of the railroad track, ten or twelve thousand cows waiting to get on the Frisco Railroad. And across on the other side of the railroad tracks in the nicer part of town was a hotel where the cattlemen and the buyers stayed. So we could go there and just shoot the bull. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the runway I said we were going to try and do new of, things on the podcast. They got a runway <laughs> on the east side of town, 2,500 feet. It's prairie. So it's not particularly level, but it is smooth. You uh, taxi off the bottom end of the runway. Turn right on 100, and I think it's 118th Street, and taxi a quarter mile uphill. Stop at the stop sign, or you'll get ticketed by the town marshal. Through the <laughs> intersection, take a left into the aircraft parking area, shut down, and walk across the street to the Beaumont Hotel. And you'll know you're there because there's an original 1870 Jerkwater Railroad Tower. Oh, really? There where the railroad engines used to t- tank tank up. Still there. Uh, after what 120 some odd years, uh, hmm. beautiful little place. And now you, you use gotta, it. They use it to pump 100 low lead. You gotta have you gotta have your uh, short field game on when you fly into Beaumont. Yeah, what about getting out? Uh, even uh, e- e- well, if the winds out of the south like it predominantly is. It's a walk in the park because it's downhill from the north end of the runway. What what is it about Kansas and twenty five hundred foot runways? 
Uh, it fits inside a quarter of a quarter. It fits inside a quarter section. That actually makes a lot of sense. That, make, that actually makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, no, twenty-five hundred foot strips around here are as common as hookers in Washington. Did yeah, I say I, that? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you said that I, right I'm, out loud, Dave. <laughs> right out loud. Yeah, and I'm still trying to get my shorts clean from that that uh, takeoff at. Uh, at Dead Cow, so. Well, the nice thing about Beaumont is that it's not in the middle of an industrial park. Uh-huh. And you got clear approaches from both ends. Now, if the wind's out of the north, the approach to the south end of the runway is kind of fun because that's the low end of the runway. Define and it's all uphill fun. from there. Okay. Yeah. So right. rollout's right. real easy. You don't even have to use the brakes. Gravity just slows you down. There you go. Well, I, I will approach Beaumont with skepticism. How's that? Uh, not yeah, not a bad. Not I admit, bad I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm ready. Oh, I, I, it sounds like a f- lot of fun. It's, I, uh, I've uh, had a 182 in there, in and out of there, a Mooney in and out of there, a Comanche 180 in and out of there, a Cherokee 140 in and out of there, uh, 160, 180 horse 172s in and out of there, and a 206 mm-hmm. in okay. and out of there. So, what, what yeah. Mooney was it? Uh, 201. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was entertaining. <laughs> I'm so glad we were taken off to the south. But at the time, uh, there were a couple of very large, uh, I believe they were oak trees, on the south side of the railroad tracks just past the end of the runway. And when you were sitting at the north end, the high end of the runway, you were looking at about the uh, top 80% of that tree. You only had about 20% of the tree, but it was still above you. Mm -hmm. So as you rolled downhill and gained flying speed into the wind, the tree got bigger. Trees got really bigger. Yeah. And the hot setup was to uh, get off the ground real quick. And in 180, back the other direction. Huh. Uh, if you had a really good climb rate, like a 182 could do, walk in the park. Just don't stow the flaps till you're past there. Stow the flaps makes a 182 sink. Yeah, and over the yeah. trees makes demo pilots really nervous when you make the airplane sink. I can't decide when we go into this place whether we're going to let him be pilot in command or not. Well, it depends on the airplane. If it's my airplane, the answer is no. <laughs> It sounds like he has some non-standard procedures to get out of this place. That uh, oh, it's well. definitely a non-standard airport. You cannot see one end from the other. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Then I've, you know I've that's the first that non-standard thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've done that airports like that before, where there's like a big, big, big mound in the and, and those in the middle of the big trees I was talking about. They're they're no longer there. A storm took them out some years ago. Uh, was, so it's a real uh, clean shot out from the south or in from the south. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what else is going on? Last uh, last week we got into a big conversation, a pretty interesting conversation. Um, actually, a return to a subject we've talked about in the past, which is the whole subject of how to persuade more people to get involved with flying, and what are the barriers and costs, and you know, marketing and all that kind of thing. And it generated a lot of mail, and, and we've seen this over the year. That uh, this is without a doubt one of the most uh, uh, you know 
interesting, I guess, or uh, you know, subjects that generate more more it's one uh, of the most debated subjects. Reaction, right. yeah, you know, from people, and we got a bunch of emails, um, and uh, I'm not going to try and go into them today because we've already kind of spent a lot of time, and it, and it's a subject I think we ought to kind of dig into a little bit and see if we can maybe find a friend who will visit us in the hangar and talk with us about it, who's more knowledgeable about than than we are, or, um, but I just want to observe that it's. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. I did, it seemed to me, and this is this is a very consistent for me, going back more than two decades, that the thing that's been missing since the late seventies, in in promoting general aviation, is lifestyle promotion. Mm-hmm. Okay, this freedom to fly above the clouds and on the pretty days and all that stuff. You know, you know, if somebody's emotionally predisposed, absolutely a good nudge. Uh, but if you look at what sells some of the other money-intensive hobbies, uh, motorhomes, boats in particular, there's a very strong tendency to link performance or luxury with lifestyle. Sure, I, I think what's missing from the equation is selling lifestyle. Aviation is a lifestyle. Uh, I remember ads for uh, the major plane makers back in the 50s and the 60s and early 70s that showed mom and dad and the kids going places in the airplane, showed mom and dad going places in the airplane, showed them visiting the family in the holidays, you know, it showed them going on vacation in the airplane. What do I see for airplane ads and encouraging people to fly now? I see pretty pictures, gorgeous pictures shot by some of my friends of airplanes and very little people. Mm-hmm. Uh I think we've forgotten that committing yourself to aviation at the level that it takes to even be a sport pilot is, to a certain extent, uh, adopting a lifestyle. And most people don't appreciate the depth of the lifestyle, how you know how, how great a group of people it is to hang around, how much there is a social component to being a GA pilot if you want to be social if you want it to be more than i go out to the airport to fly around on weekends or i go out to the airport to fly on assignment or i go out to the airplane to fly when you know i gotta go home uh you know going to the ponca city breakfast going to the oshkosh air shows going to the fly-ins going down to uh uh uh, the cayman islands on vacation going to the rockies on vacation these are all things that are lifestyle-oriented. They are. Uh, you know, when you see people selling boats, uh, those folks are using the boats to have fun. You see the people having fun. Uh, when they sell RVs, you don't see RVs out on the highway, you know, absent of people. You see the people living the grand life in the RV. I think right. we miss that here. One of, one of my favorite um, uh, stories... Um, remember walking into into the office one day years ago, um, you know, kind of tanned, rested, and ready. And and one of my coworkers said, "Oh, you you went to the beach?" I said, "Yeah, you know, just kind of went down." Oh, wasn't the traffic terrible this weekend? <laughs> and I said, "You know, well, actually, no, it wasn't all that bad." And here's why. And uh, the the gig that time was. Um, Flying down to Billy Mitchell uh, Airport, a little Billy Mitchell Field, I guess it's called, at Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. And it's a little 3,500-foot-long paved strip. Um, you land, park the airplane, walk across the dune, and your feet are wet. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you're, you're in the Atlantic Ocean. And it's it's just a nice little – it's a day trip because at the time, there are some hotels nearby now, and, and uh, uh, they're more tuned, shall we say, to catering to, to private aviation now. But at the time, it was um, you pack a cooler and you pack uh, a change of clothes and towels and everything else, and uh, you go down there and um, uh, spend the day on the beach. There's a seafood restaurant about a quarter mile down the road. And you walk down there, have dinner, walk back to the airplane. Um, the uh, the strip had no lights on it, so you had to get out of there before uh, before uh, uh, dusk and uh, fly home. And it was a great little day. Um, you know, we I, I and in very few people can do that. From, from Frederick, Maryland, to mm-hmm. uh, First Flight or Manio, right down at Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, I got my I got my private punched. The Sunday before a Labor Day weekend. Uh, and the Friday of that Labor Day weekend took off on 1,100 mile cross country one way. Stayed out a week and worked my way back with my wife, Annie, and uh, and this little Cherokee 140. The following Thanksgiving, we hit my hometown in Indiana, spent Thanksgiving Day with my folks. Friday, we went to Annie's folks. Saturday, we went to Nags Head and landed at first flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, Ash County, North Carolina, picked up a $20 a day Ford Escort rental car, drove down to Blowing Rock, got a really nice hotel, off-season rate, a really wonderful dinner there in the Artist Colony. Uh, next day, flew out to, uh, uh, oh, Jiminy, what's the name of it? State Park in Kentucky, uh, Rough River. No, not Rough River. Kentucky Lakes? Way out in the western part of the state. It's got a 4,200-foot strip there in the state park. I'm going blank on it. Uh, And then home from there. It was a Thanksgiving trip like nothing I'd ever done going over the river and through the woods in a family car. Yeah, yeah, it's great stuff. There's no question that, 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 you know, introducing people to the lifestyle of general aviation will, will bring will make more people interested. But what we're hearing from at least those people who are sending us email is that there are people out there who already get it and, and are intrigued and yeah. really want to do it, but it's the price that's killing Right. There's, there's, a, there's a price not just in, in finances and in financial resources that, that has to be paid, but there's also a dedication that one has to make to A, uh, drive out to the airport. I mean, that's in and of itself. I mean, that's that's like uh, uh, was it Woody Allen said that ninety percent of life is is showing up. You got to show up. Yeah, you got to yeah. show up at the airport. Right. Yeah, and, um, um, and then, just and, getting and, and just and getting I, getting to the airport, uh, uh, scheduling a lesson, following through, scheduling the next lesson, going through that. Um, and and the the study away from the the airport. You got the ground school. You got. Uh, um, and, and of course, we're talking about going through and getting a private uh, ticket, and and hopefully uh, an instrument rating add-on after that. Um, thank God we have something ticket. like yes. Thank God we have something like Sport Pilot now, where the 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 dedication, the commitment, the the resource allocation is not nearly as great. Um, time will tell whether or not. Um, that's going to be the, the, the salvation, if you will, of, of uh, general aviation. Uh, it's looking good, but we still have a long, long uh, hill to climb. 
Sure. One of the real pluses the sport pilot is for new people coming in, as you correctly note, you know, it's a it's a lower dollar commitment mm-hmm. to learn to fly and to fly sport light sport aircraft. Uh, what I think is wonderful is that that time counts towards your private pilot ticket when you're ready to exactly. move up. Yeah. You know, you're not starting from scratch here. Like uh, if you were an ultralight pilot, and, and I'm an old ultralight pilot. I, you know, I soloed my first trike in 1981, scared witless because there were no dual trainers at the time. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, felt like a true test pilot. <laughs> and uh, the uh, you could fly ultralights all you wanted to, powered, unpowered, rack up thousands of hours, as some of my friends did. Uh, I racked up 1,600, 1,700 hours myself. In hang gliders, none of it, and, and, and that much in ultralights, none of it counted toward getting my private pilot's license. The sport pilot certificate, you get that, that time counts toward getting your PPL, which, of course, counts toward getting your instrument rating and, and, and on and on. So uh, I can't help but think that as this gets better understood and has more of a chance to roll out, that the initial success that we've been seeing in the last two years is going to be proved to be pretty strong and consistent for a long time to come yeah i agree so i think what we're going to do is uh we're going to continue to talk about this subject and uh, oh, yeah. try and bring in oh, some yeah. some friends into the hangar who who are more knowledgeable about you know ways that people can can learn to fly uh, uh perhaps more frugally um or less expensively that is and uh, and and other things so uh it's a subject i think it's going to be very big in season two of uncontrolled airspace and so we urge you to stay tuned. A little pause here, guys. All right, so it, it sounds to me like um, there's something wrong with your microphone, David. Um, and, and first of all, it, it, it seems to be very, very sensitive. To, it sounds like you're either touching it or adjusting it or it's rubbing against your face or I don't know what. But we hear a lot of kind of scratching, scraping kind of noise. I wonder if it's my mustache. It could be. Um, so just Is for starters. Is any better? Is this th- any better? That is better. Okay. okay, I moved it away from my mouth. That may be what it takes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. Let me get it a little farther away still. How do I sound now? That sounds good too. Let's try it like that. All right. So just use caution about any contact with the microphone or the boom or anything like that because it sounds like that's that's an issue here. And Unfortunately, I'm not hearing my voice in the headset. I know you. So. Can, yeah, yeah, I know you can. That's kind of one of the big problems with these systems. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in any event, let's try that for a while and see what it gets us. Okay. No problem. Oh, that's way better already. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe you were overdriving the mic, and that's why it was cutting out and being quiet periodically. Well, that could be yeah. overmodulating. Yeah. Okay. So, let's see. Now, one of the things that the administrator announced at Oshkosh was that they were going to change the shape of the Washington, D.C. ADIS. All right. Uh-huh. Um, but then they put out the char- – and it's not going to happen until August 31st, Right. And then they put uh, out that, uh, the August thirty, I believe, and, uh, and then they put uh, out the new chart, the normal chart. Well, they put out the Cincinnati sectional. Okay, tell us what not, happened. Not here. the not the local charts. Uh, the Cincinnati sectional, the publication date for which was, I'm going to guess, um, August two, um, because that would be the the twenty eight day cycle. Um, so if you rely on this chart and go flying in that area, you could get busted. Right, and I don't know the exact nature of the. Um, well, the, that, that the, that's uh, the issue because the uh, the depiction on the chart had changed. Uh-huh. 
Well, so it I, I, didn't look like yeah, the eight I, is before. There, it there's, was missing. There's, what there's, there's two things. There's well, there's actually three um, physical changes to the shape of the airspace um, that go into effect on August 30. One is a a um, 60 nautical mile radius speed limit ring around the Washington uh, oh, right. DCA. Uh, DME, uh, VOR DME, and what that is is a 230 knot indicated airspeed limit for piston aircraft um, to be within 60 nautical miles of, or I'm sorry, VFR aircraft. That's the, that's the that's the uh, catch. VFR aircraft uh, within 60 nautical mile radius of Washington National Airport, and then this, that's the first change. The second change is they have um, slightly downsized the, the physical is itself. It is much more concentric or much more circular, perhaps I should say, um, uh, than it was before. Beforehand, it was basically conformed to the, the uh, Washington, D.C. tri-area uh, class Bravo airspace where you had three intersecting circles, one centered on and- um, one centered on Dulles, one centered on National, and one centered on BWI. Now you have one circle centered on um, DCA, on Washington National. You also have a cutout for the Leesburg, uh, Virginia airport. That airport now, well, as of the 30th, will be completely outside of the 80s, um, kind of, sort of. It'll have some special procedures. It'll still technically be within that the the, uh, <laughs> the 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 nautical mile. I think it's thirty nautical mile radius, but they will have special procedures. You won't have to talk to anyone. Um, you will kind of have to self-announce on the CTAF. And the way they describe the self-announce procedures, uh, it's c- pretty clear that Big Brother will be listening on the, on of all right. things on on the, on the CTAF frequency. Uh, so that's the second uh, physical change to the airspace. The third physical change is really affects a, a fairly small number of people, and they have changed the size and shape, or specifically the shape of the freeze. That's the flight restricted zone. That is the the sanctum sanctorum, if you will, of of airspace here in the Washington D.C. area. You have to. Um, um, you have to hear the rubber glove snap, as I like to say, uh, where you, you you have to go through and get fingerprinted and and uh, have a little background check done on you and all that kind of thing to be able to fly into uh, what we call the DC three airports, uh, Potomac, Hyde, and uh, College Park, Maryland. A procedure that uh, you're proud to say you've gone through it. I, I have gone through that. There was no rubber glove involved. I'm I'm happy to say. Um, um, he and was it's, quick to point out. Yeah, very quick to point out. Uh, it's it's fairly painless. Uh, it's it's an it's an episode. It's an exercise in eye rolling because um, it just so much of it makes. Uh, I'm sure it makes sense to the bureaucrats and the and um, as, as a close friend of mine would say, the forces of darkness. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it makes sense to them. But to any other human uh, with a pulse, it doesn't make any sense at all. But now, uh, it, it all doesn't take effect until the end of August. All of this goes into effect at, I think it's like uh, 0500 UTC on August 30, whatever the the act, the changeover date for the new charts on the 28-day cycle. 
um, that date and time, August 30. But isn't there a chart uh, out already that has yeah. this stuff on the, it, and it's wrong? Cincinnati, the Cincinnati sectional, which apparently has a, a – and I haven't looked at a Cincinnati sectional. I've read about this particular episode. There's apparently a, a portion of the Cincinnati sectional that was printed – that shows, I believe, uh, part of the 60 nautical mile radius speed limit airspace. Yeah. Okay. And that chart it's is way on the over on the eastern edge. Right. It's it's yeah it would have to be. But that chart is on the streets. It's it's a good chart, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the airspace depicted on that chart does not go into effect until the 30th. I don't know well, there's if there's also a, been a a collateral, you know. A, mm-hmm. Concomitant move to uh, oh, that's a nomination. That's a nomination. Yeah, that's that's wow. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised you got through that. Concomitant. Yeah, I, concomitant um, concomitant move yeah, to couldn't update say it a second the databases, time, right? the, the GPS databases, so that they accurately depict what's correct rather than what was fed into the 28 day cycle. Yeah. Right, and, and I um, um, flying back from Oshkosh. This year, um, on my 396, and the, the it depicts the TFRs in. Um, it's not a uh, the, the TFR data depicted on the on the Garmin 396 and 496 is not um, in the database, the onboard database. It is transmitted over the XM uh, satellite feed. Okay, right, it's downloaded live. Right, it's downloaded live. Well. Um, a couple of days, uh, flying back the day after Oshkosh closed, I already had, my 396 already had that airspace depicted. And I'm going, you know, smoking into the D.C. area about 10 o'clock at night. What is going on with this? Is there another TFR going on here? And it finally dawned on me uh, that what was going on, and, and I just kept boring in, and, and uh, no, one, no one said anything. And, of course, maybe, my, maybe that knocking at the door was the feds coming to take me away. But uh, um, uh, Garmin kind of jumped the gun, I think, or not so much Garmin, but XM, somebody, kind of jumped the gun on depicting that airspace where it did not go into effect yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they just set so. it out on the normal cycle. That's what went wrong. Well, no, because again, it was TFR. It's it's a TFR um, uh, database thing, and that the data the Garmin databases are not um, don't oh, have I that TFR information. It's it's downloaded yeah. via satellite from the XM feed. Like the distance. And someone kind of jumped the gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so. Um, um, be, you know, trust but verify. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Let's see now. We've got a. I came across this one when I was kind of snooping around today, looking for uh, things we might talk about. This is my stupid pilot trick of the uh, of the week. Uh, and I actually <laughs> yeah, have two, we have two choices this week. This the one story actually has two two nominees for the stupid pilot trick of the week. So this is just from a story uh, on Aero News Net, uh, uh, and I'm I'm not. I don't know if I should read it. I'm going to sum. Every time I try and summarize these stories, I get them wrong. But basically, this ultralight uh, pilot, uh, and it was a, do- a dual two-seater ultralight, was flying around in uh, Central California, and he decided to fly under a bridge that goes over the Sacramento River, which of course is kind of stupid just to begin with, if you ask me. I mean, I guess. Which having a bridge over the Sacramento River or flying under said bridge? Flying under the bridge. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
And then he, and then to kind of, to kind of, you know, aggravate the whole thing is he did it right in front of a, of a uh, county sheriff's deputy who was working a boat patrol in the river. So he was just totally busted. Um, so, so dumb thing number one is this guy flies his ultralight under the bridge and gets caught for doing it. Now, but now here's candidate number two. So apparently there was a law enforcement helicopter nearby, and the law enforcement helicopter was called in. And it says uh, the uh, helicopter pilot found the plane and forced it to land on a gravel bar of the river. And I just had this image of how in the world did the helicopter force the ultralight to fly in any fashion that was safe? I mean, I just yeah. that, that sounds like yeah. it could get ugly real fast. That sound like the guy sounded like a cowboy to me, and and maybe there should be an investigation on him. Um, fine, you want to you want to identi- identify the guy. You follow him. You have somebody else follow him to wherever he's going, and you meet him on the ground. Uh, we start getting into situations where we're forcing people to land, um, e- even if it's for a good reason. Then I think we've kind of jumped a shark here. Um, you hel- a helicopter uh, obviously is another kind of aircraft that uh, perhaps shouldn't be flying real close to uh, to ultralights. Um, because of the the wind that it kicks up, um, yeah, people uh, uh, more knowledgeable about hel- helicopter operations than I am can certainly ch- feel free to chime in, and I'd, I'd love to be educated. But well, uh, there, there was an incident in the uh, in the seventies, uh huh, in which uh, uh, an auto manufacturer was using a hang glider flying over its product out in a remote part of California, and they were shooting it from the helicopter, shooting this whole thing. And, you know, the drill was this make-believe. The, helico- or the hang glider pilot drops into the seat next to the good-looking girl driving the vehicle. Well, the uh, helicopter ignored the hang glider pilot's admonition that if you flew across his flight path, the, uh, the rudder wash would probably crash him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the urging of the director, apparently, and flew across the flight path of the helicopter to get a swing shot. And the uh, turbulence crashed the hang glider, and the guy died. Yeah. And, and, I can, uh, and I can think of another very well-known episode involving fixed-wing aircraft and a helicopter. Yeah, you ta- uh, Go ahead. I think this over, might be the one uh, I'm thinking about. Over Philadelphia, it killed Senator John Hines. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he was in a he was a passenger in a chartered uh, Aerostar, the uh, pilot of which uh, was having difficulty getting the landing gear to lock down, and so they were circling away from the airport uh, or close to the airport, but still not in the pattern or anything. Uh, the pilot was troubleshooting the landing gear. Uh, a helicopter, uh, I think it was a Bell 412 or something, single rotor but large heavy helicopter. Uh, was just launching from Philadelphia at the time and volunteered to go take a look uh, to see if they could be of any assistance. Well, that's that's strike one uh, because uh, anybody flying close formation with another aircraft, they need to have briefed this beforehand. And, and two dissimilar aircraft types, as in this case, are probably not a good mix. But anyway, they went ahead and... and took a look what they could do from a helicopter however many yards away is anybody's guess um and uh flew up close to the the aerostar and obviously too close and what happened was the aerostar basically uh got sucked down 
into the rotor of the helicopter. Both aircraft crashed. Um, everybody aboard both aircraft were dead, including the senator. Yeah. Yeah. So as stupid as it was to fly underneath the bridge, I think that uh, the helicopter guy trying to force yeah, him to well, land just is a much scarier notion. And, uh, one, yeah. one final note, and I'm, I'm not from that area, but I've, I've, I've talked to people who are, and they kind of indicate that that particular river and that particular stretch of river on Independence Day, on July 4th, is a very big deal. That's a, like, that's like uh, uh, um, I don't know, Woodstock and, and uh, uh, NASCAR race and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, something else uh, that, that escapes me right now. Girls Gone Wild or something like that all rolled into one. And, and <laughs> author- local authorities there have had to kind of crack down in recent years to uh, um, prevent a mass littering and and you know coolers and beer and perhaps a few bodies and things like that you know strung mayhem, out mayhem yeah no mayhem mass quantities and and uh, uh, and and mayhem all along that river well apparently they've cracked down and and trying to keep a lid on a lot of the activity but this this ultralight pilot apparently did not get the memo yeah well <laughs> well you know all you got to do is restrict mayhem to May that's right uh, mayhem any other month of the uh-huh. year. Just uh-huh. in May. That's right. Okay. No mayhem in June or July. Or uh-huh. Well, good news. Um, I know we're all worried about this, but it turns out that Administrator Blakey of the FAA has uh, <laughs> we were, has gotten we herself just, a new job. My, my fingernails are just to the nub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was as so worried as a, that revolving door was going to stick. As recently as a month ago, we were wondering whether she was, in fact, going to be leaving her position with the FAA, and she confirmed that at Oshkosh. Um, and she's already lined up a new job here. So, uh, of wonders. Um, do you guys know? I, I've, all I know is the story that uh, she'll be she'll be uh, uh, president and chief executive officer of the Aerospace Industries Association, which is a Washington D.C. Uh, based. So she's going to be a fellow lobbyist with you, right? Well, I'm not a lobbyist anymore, but uh, uh, I, I did play one on TV uh, sometime ago. <laughs> uh, uh, AIA is is kind of the 800-pound gorilla um, of um, trade associations involving some of the major aerospace and defense contractors here in the United States. Think Boeing, think Raytheon, think... Um, um, L, uh, L3, and a lot of them have consolidated now over the years. So I think I guess L3, and uh, um, uh, I'm sure there's you know uh, several other name brand uh, corporations that are North driving Rick, forces behind. Yeah, right uh, behind uh, AIA. Um, that's a that's a, it's it's a very plum position for her. Um, that's that's a name brand uh, blue chip uh, trade association. Um, and gets to continue her long string of jobs as a cheerleader. Well, exactly right. Um, um, the uh, uh, AI, like a lot of other these, a lot of these larger uh, associations, uh, really just exist to to push their individual member or their collective members' agendas. And uh, uh, the main agenda, of course, is to uh, get the federal government to pay them money. Mm-hmm. Now, can uh, we so. can we start any juicy rumors about the propriety of the administrator having this kind of a job lined up before she's even left office, or is this kind of par for the course? How does that work? 
Um, my I'm not my sure outrage my ten foot pole is big enough for this. Yeah, my my outrage meter long ago uh, pegged, and I'm I'm not sure I can get it get it uh, um, pegged on the on the far side. I should say I'm not sure I can get it off the 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 bottom peg uh, right now on something like this. I, yeah, I mean the uh, in a in a perfect world um, there should be um, uh, at least a um, how should, uh, a polite um, um, quiet period, perhaps, between the time one leaves government service and the time uh, that uh, his or her next uh, job in industry is announced. And that job, of course, directly uh, is related to the, the the new job is directly related to the old job. Um, Basically, but, all but she but has to do is my, run the association and not be right. the actual lobbyist that shows up for a well, couple of years. Well, that's 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 what I was going to get to. She's got a, safe harbor. There, there's a two-year. I believe it's two years um, for um, it might be just one year, but I think it's two years. I, it used I to be two got, years. I think it got I think it got negotiated down. Yeah, it, it might be only one year um, uh, during which former members of uh, former administrators of, of various agencies, such as the FAA, may not lobby that agency. Uh, they can lobby Capitol Hill. They can lobby. Uh, other agencies within the federal government, but not the agency for which they used to work. But she can share her Rolodex with her fellow. She can oh, make gee, it. She can dial can. the phone and hand it hand it to her yeah. assistant. Okay, yes. that's right. Well, we wish Administrator Blakey the best. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we'll see what happens next. We're gonna miss that molasses accent. She's a very, very cool woman. I have to tell you, whether or not you disagree, whether or not you agree or disagree with her policies and and, and so done, forth, she's done some good things. She deserves a, a, a lot of credit. In some well, areas. I, I have a lot of respect. She's done for her. some things that are baffling, but yeah, you know, yeah. I think well, that the, probably the, went with the position. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with everything that she's done. Um, I, um, um, she, she's very good at what she does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, I give her with the I, ones that bring you to the yeah. Party. I, I give her I give her a great deal of credit for that. I have a lot of respect for her capabilities and her talents in those areas. Um, I, I don't um, agree with some of her policies. Um, I asked her um, uh, during Oshkosh. I had the opportunity to, to be with to have some quality time with her, and asked her what she felt that her her three main um, legacies would be or the three things that she felt that she'd accomplished at at the FAA and there wasn't a a good soundbite in any of that uh one of course one of the things of course was was user fees uh another was just kind of stream trying to streamline See, the FAA there's the baffling part right out of the and, block well and it was it was the third one I'll give her I'll, I'll, I'll you know in all in truthfulness um you know she you know streamlining the FAA um, you know, trying to bring technology online, and then, and then, hopefully, she said, th- hopefully, the third one will be user fees, hmm. you know, or an alternate funding source, perhaps. I'd have to go back and, and play the recording and, and get the exact quote, which I, I may, may or may not find time to do here in the next few Stand days. Stand on message to the end. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. But I, I, as I say, I give her credit for that too. I give her a lot sure, of credit for sure. staying on message. Um, um, and I talked to her even later in the day after after this particular conversation, and 
and it was you know she she was it was clear she was leaving et cetera et cetera I said you know I, we disagree uh, madam administrator on so many things but uh, you know I I have to thank you for your service mm-hmm. uh, because very few other people would take on the role that she has taken on and that deserves in and of itself that deserves a great deal of respect well my my constant wish recurring is that they actually get back to the idea of having somebody from aviation right ain't going to happen actually yeah. run the FAA well now give us a little civics lesson here how does this work now does the president nominate a uh, replacement that's correct and yeah. when, what will the time frame of that be? If she's done on at the end of September, will he nominate someone prior to that? Or well, September thirteen is her five year anniversary, um, and uh, she has said that she will leave on September thirteen. Mm-hmm. So it's not at all clear to me when the White House will uh, um, send up a new uh, nominee for that position. Okay. Um, it, it, I have not. I've heard some speculation, and I've heard a name mentioned, but uh, the name didn't resonate. It wasn't a name brand name. Um, I could. I could have to go back and research that. It, uh, it might be in the story. Actually, let me, let me scroll down. I don't see it. Um, so, your guess is as good as mine as to how this will will develop. Um, the the first blush reaction is that someone um, from within the the current. Um, a hierarchy at the agency will be named uh, acting administrator once she departs. Um, Congress will have, when they return after Labor Day, will have maybe six weeks to do something about holding hearings and um, n- and actually running through the the confirmation process. A new FAA administrator. My guess is they won't get to it. Uh, and it will it will roll over until uh, uh, 08, be in probably March or so of 08 before they can actually hold if these that's, hearings. And if that's and what happens. They'll fill it with a recess appointment. Well, he probably will, and um, uh, that that starts to get a little bit more complicated than I was uh, uh, prepared to deal with tonight. But. Uh, um, who knows? Yeah. It's it, the and the reason, of course, that they're not going to get to it between the Congress won't get to it between now and the end of this session is reauthorization. They're going to be too busy. The, the people responsible for um, taking a, a nomination and confirming it and getting it to the Senate floor and approving it are going to be too busy with FAA reauthorization to deal with a nomination. Yeah, yeah. I figure it comes in the second session of this Congress. Right. Yeah. If it comes at all. If it comes at all. Off-field landing of the week. Let's see now. This is a different one. This is, uh, again, from another story from Aero News Net, uh, in, one that even they ca- label as weird. Uh, <laughs> their little category, weird. All right. A hungry helo pilot lands on highway median. It says, oh, a hung- yeah, I heard about this. A helicopter pilot on his way to Traverse City, Michigan, decided to make a lunch stop in the city of Midland on Tuesday. Instead of choosing to land at the airport, a quarter of a mile away from the restaurant, though, the pilot sat down on a grassy area near a busy highway. 
The Associated Press reports the pilot then walked with his female passenger to Logan's Roundhouse for, to a, for a bite to eat. Roadhouse. Road, uh, that's right, Logan's Ra- Roadhouse, uh, as employees at the store next to the parked helicopter called the police. <laughs> it's like yet another not very bright pilot. I don't know. but uh, So uh, that's an off-field landing, I guess. It wasn't an emergency, although he might have been really hungry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and to make a precautionary landing, he had to see what his stake level was. Well, that's well, and and when, and apparently when when challenged by the authorities a little bit later on, he suddenly it suddenly was oh it was a precautionary landing. I uh, I was landing just you know I, I wanted to make sure I was not having a mechanical problem. Yeah yeah that's 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 the ticket. That's what was going on. So uh, this guy landed on the median strip in order to go. to Eventually, the, he admitted he, they they just stopped there for lunch. Yeah, must be a really good restaurant. Logan's, Logan's Roadhouse is pretty good. You know it's that place. A, it's a chain, um, yeah. and it's 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 adequate. Um, I don't yeah. know that it's worth uh, um, the, the time and expense to fire up the helicopter and fly over there. I might be better off taking a cab, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think you'll probably that pushes twice. the tab out of the out, out of the reach of the reasonable. Right. Right. It, says, ride, it yeah. says in the story here the pilot was ticketed with a misdemeanor charge for an illegal landing. Yeah, I, how does I just, that? No, how does that work? No, I, I don't, I don't know. The whole thing is is pretty hokey. I mean, you know, officer said the pilot initially claimed to have permission to land, da 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 da, and then um, when police told the man he would need, to, and then he, then he said it was got heli- got mechanical problems, and then police said, well, he he need to have a mechanic check the airplane or checked out check out the helicopter. Well, if I landed a helicopter and said I had mechanical problems. How would the pilot? How would the police know that I'm not a mechanic and can check my own aircraft? Yeah, uh-huh. well, they could ask to see your license. Well, he could he could do that. The flip side of that is, well, you know, this is something that um, I'm more than qualified as a pilot of this aircraft to verify, and I can leave now, having having uh, uh, verified that the, the helicopter is mechanically sound, officer. I'm not sure you have the right to detain me on these on these grounds. Well, and, and that's my uh, point. Is, is how does the, yeah. the misdemeanor charge for illegal landing? I mean, uh, yeah, that, which what, which I just guess, adds I to guess the, that's a, what is that a Traverse City law or a Michigan law? Yeah, I, I don't really. know. It sure I, it's certainly not, not a federal law. Right. Yeah. Right. Although, who knows? It could. There, I mean, you know, there could well be a law that makes it. Some people don't realize this. The city of San Francisco. It's against the law to land a helicopter anywhere in the city of San Francisco. Um, there are no, you know, helicopter spots on, on the top of buildings. Um, there are on, not on the hospitals. Is last I checked, All right, you cannot land a helicopter legally. Aside, of course, from like an emergency, but you cannot routinely land a helicopter anywhere in the city of San Francisco. So, and you know, apparently that's a law that they've managed to keep on the books. So, uh, you know, it must stand up to some challenge. So maybe all we know is Traverse City may have a law against landing helicopters on the median strip, and uh, and it's apparently a five hundred dollar ticket. So be careful. <laughs> you know, makes keep that in mind. To Logan's a lot. Look pretty cheap. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll keep that in mind next time I'm flying a helicopter yeah. in Traverse City, Michigan. Reaching the end of our allotted time here. Let's see now. Any shout outs you guys have? Uh, not not necessarily a shout out. I, I, I came across a news item uh, earlier today. Um, there were uh, there was a Civil Air Patrol mission, I believe, it was in Wyoming yesterday, and um, the. Um, CAP was launched in search of a lost child, um, six or seven or eight year old boy, as I recall, 
and um, the uh, Civil Air Patrol aircraft, a Cessna 182R, according to press reports, crashed and killed all three CAP members aboard. And I just, I just wanted to note that. Um, um, say what you will about CAP. There's, there are people out there who are giving their of their time and their their energies and their and their resources to um, to try to do the good thing. And uh, very sadly and very unfortunately, uh, three of them today, yesterday, I should say, lost their lives. And uh, um, just just want to kind of want to note that. Very sad. Sorry to hear that. Uh, I've, My only shout out is. Labor Day weekend's coming up. Get in an airplane. Go somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Um, I actually have a couple here. Um, first of all, this is sort of an idea. We were talking earlier about things we're going to try doing in Season 2, and here's the first of them, and I'm going to be a little bit cryptic here. Uh, I'm looking for one of our listeners. Um, I actually would love to hear from more than one of our listeners who are planning to attend the Reno Air Races, who have a good cell phone, um, and like listening to the podcast. Um, and, and I won't say more than that. I think you probably get the picture of what I'm getting at here. But uh, we're looking for, uh, for a, an, an enthusiastic, uncontrolled airspace listener who has a cell phone and is planning to attend the Reno Air Races. So if you're that person like that, send uh, me an email. Send it to uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. The next thing is um, our good friend uh, Will Hawkins, formerly of the student pilot flight podlog, uh, who uh, is no longer a student pilot, got his private ticket about a month or so ago, uh, has uh, formally announced what he's doing with his podcast. And he sort of repurposed and renamed and, and relaunched his podcast, and he now calls it the Pilot's Flight Podlog slash aviation podcast or dash aviation podcast um and he's just going to continue on telling his stories about uh, aviation he's going to do a lot of interviews with uh, other pilots and people he's met around the around the aviation community and it sounds like it's going to be great and uh, we urge everybody to subscribe i don't know whether that new podcast is going to come down through his old uh, f- uh podcast feed like through your itunes or whatnot um but you might want to go to pilotwill.libson.com that's pilotwill one word W-I-L-L, and then dot Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. We'll put that in the show notes. But uh, uh, congratulations, Will, on your new podcast. Uh, looking forward to hearing it. Uh, he's already published a sort of a episode number zero, which is an introduction and a, and a high and a talk about what he's going to do. And uh, there's going to be more good stuff from pilot Will Hawkins. When I see we you will look, we will look forward here. to that. Yeah, it sounds good, and good luck with that, Will. Yeah, uh, we'll absolutely. Be yeah, Dave, you want to cover this next one? Uh, yeah. Just real quick and dirty, folks, your lawmakers are not back in Washington yet. They're either traveling on uh, research missions to Iraq or (laughs) some golf course, or they're there in your home district. Nonetheless, their district office, their state office is alive, well, open, doing business. Give them a shout. Even if you have before, give them a shout again. Tell them that you want to see Congress pass H.R. 2881. That's the FAA reauthorization bill that is the least unfriendly to GA and is our best hope for uh, uh, averting uh, uh, the introduction of user fees on any level. So many 2881, contact them, contact them again. They won't be back until after Labor Day, back in Washington after Labor Day. And at that point, they've got basically three weeks to get it done. Yeah. So so many... So many things uh, out there um, come down to the lesser of evils. Um, Two eight eight one is um, by by no means a perfect solution, but it is the best we're going to get. 
and uh, it's if unless uh, uh, unless you know something else drastic happens here in the next couple of weeks. So anyone who, especially anyone who wants to stave off user fees that are in the Senate bill, uh, and that basically I would hope counts many of our listeners among them, uh, needs to get on the horn, fax, email, telephone, write a snail mail letter, uh, support HR two eight eight one. Yep, great. And one last shout out from me, uh, and uh, I hope this doesn't sound too corny, but it's it's really heartfelt. And this is a shout out to my uncontrolled airspace uh, co-host Jeb and Dave. I want to just wanted to say that when we started this podcast a year ago, I mean, I, I always figured that it would be fun to get a chance to talk with you guys every week, and it has not disappointed. Um, it's been a blast. I'm looking forward to continuing it forever into the future. Um, I, my thanks to you guys for making the time to do this with me. Wow, that's that's very kind, Jack, and and. Uh... I dare say we none of this uh, would be possible. None of this would have ever come together. Uh, certainly not in the uh, fashion that it has without your vision, your dedication, and your professionalism. Uh, and I cannot thank you enough. So you, you back are at you. The, you are the most fun of all the masochists I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Possible exception being your wife, Dave. <laughs> that, that's a- absolutely true. Absolutely true. But she's cuter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, you can learn more about Dave and his work at uh, DaveHigdon.com and uh, Jeb at uh, JebBurnside.com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com and AvWeb.com, and myself at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. And, of course, you can visit us all at the website where the blog is a happening place. There's all kinds of things happening at the blog, and we may add some, some new things there pretty soon uncontrolledairspace.com so thank you everyone for a great season one uh look out here we come season two we'll talk to you all again next time all you folks thanks for listening for a year you're amazing now go fly Thank you.